Well, hello and um, welcome to this ICP podcast. Uh, my name is Peter Kent. I'm ICP's um, president-elect. And with me today is Simon Lau. Um, Simon is someone um, I've got to know quite well um, over recent um, months. Um, he's a former um, pupil at the school where I'm still head teacher, Lawrence Sheriff in rugby. Simon very kindly came in and spoke to um, the students at school um, recently, particularly our, our, our 16, 17 year old students, about some of his educational experiences and some of his experiences in leadership um, as well. And I persuaded Simon um, to come and share some of those with you as well, because they were so fascinating. So maybe Simon, you could begin by, by sharing some of those sort of early educational experiences that you were talking about to the students last week. Yeah, thank you, Peter, for um, inviting me into this conversation um, to, to share with the other leaders that you're working with. And um, yeah, I, I, I was reflecting on the, the challenge you set me when you invited me in to speak to the uh, six formers. And um, you know, part, part of that challenge is that my, my sons are at the school as well. And uh, I was talking to my, my oldest son who was in the audience, who, who's a year 12. And uh, I guess the important thing for me about leadership, but also the conversation is to be able to connect and relate to your audience. And uh, I thought it was important to tell my story of, uh, you know, where I started. And as you invite me to talk about my experience of, of secondary education, uh, my time at the school was, was very transformational. Um, I come from a, a very humble background. Um, my, my parents were immigrants to the UK in, uh, in the early 60s. Uh, and as a result of that, they, you know, they came to the UK and ran a Chinese takeaway. So um, if people kind of understand that kind of background and that time frame, uh, the, the UK was a very different place. Uh, as, as I attended the school and, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful school with lots of history uh, my parents weren't very educated. They didn't speak very good English. They hadn't assimilated into society very much. So I, I didn't have a lot of role models. Um, so to be able to connect with the students, it, it took me back as I was looking at, you know, all those 120 or so students in there. There, there were a lot more uh, ethnic diversity than, than when I was at the school. There were girls. Um, you know, the school now has a mixed sixth form. Um, so that was a very different experience for me. Um, growing up at the school and I, I thought it was just important to share with them um, you know how, how wonderful the teachers were um, you know for teachers uh, it, it's a wonderful calling and a profession in which you are serving the community uh, and raising the next generation and uh, that's something that's very close to my heart you know I've spent the last 25 years working in leadership development so the opportunity to go back and uh, sh share a few words of wisdom maybe of what it was like to have teachers and listen to them um, they really shaped who I am uh, the advice they were able to give gave a different perspective I, I never had those conversations at home um, so, so teachers have a huge amount of influence um, in your early childhood years as, as a voice of reason uh, a caring voice about your future some experience that you may not necessarily know or have um, I'm very thankful um, to the teachers and the experience I had at the school. Well, one of the things that struck me, Simon, was you shared the way in which 
one particular teacher, um, uh, Paul Burton, I think it was, had a big impact on the decisions you made about your future direction when you came to think about whether or not you, you'd stay on in education. Yeah, so as, as I've shared, you know, my, my parents ran a Chinese takeaway. I, I grew up in the family business. So, um, you know, I, I, sent, I essentially worked and, and school was in between, uh, as it were. And, um, you know, when we got to 16 doing GCSEs, it's, it's that first point where you can actually leave school, as it were. And, you know, I, I, my, mass, my aspirations and my ambition was to take over the family business. I really enjoyed the cooking. Uh, I saw the lifestyle my parents had. It was hard work, but it was it was something you you know you could you could do quite successfully. Um, my world was very small. You know, my my parents didn't have lots of dinner parties where they had lawyers and doctors and friends to invite. And you know, you 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 seek ambition and different perspectives. All of their friends ran Chinese takeaways. You know, our weekends were filled with going to Birmingham to buy stock and and you know having dim sum as a treat. Um, so I was intending to leave. Um, but yeah, uh, Mr. Burton, he said, uh, you know, why don't you go away on an outward bound course? You know, we, we do these things that help open your mind and, and see what you might be able to do, um, what you can achieve, who you are, go off and find yourself. And uh, we managed to get some money from the Outward Bound Trust. I went away for two weeks to, to Abu Dhabi and it was one of these places where you go you meet other other kids you start doing things with rope courses and coastering jumping off fountains all sorts of things rope courses problem solving um and it, it was it was a wonderful wonderful experience um, i was exposed to people um things that i never thought i could do as i challenged myself with the rock climbing the abseiling all, all these different things and uh I came back with a new sense of, uh, I guess, potential in terms of pushing myself into things that I didn't know. And uh, it, it was a nice conversation to then come back with and then just kind of then take up the mantle of, do you know what, why don't you stay for a couple more years? You know, you're fairly bright, um, do some A-levels, continue with the education because you can always go back to your family business. You can't, you can't necessarily have the opportunity to continue education. What, what interests me is, is that then took you in quite a radically different um, direction, Simon, and, and, and you were sharing that, that um, from an early stage, you, you've had a sort of um, international experience of, of, of working, um, where you, you, you've worked um, in, in several different locations, haven't you? I have. So, um, you know, after studying university in the UK, um, I did a couple of jobs and uh, realised actually, you know, if I don't like the job, you know, the big epiphany was working at KPMG. I'm not an accountant. So I'm trained as an organisational psychologist and my passion is people. And I think I spoke about that, you know, know your passion, follow your passion. Um, and because I didn't like the job, I literally went backpacking for about six months to Hong Kong, where's where I started, where I have family. So I went back to discover my own roots. Um, I think I got the travel bug then um, and then I later stayed in Hong Kong uh, for about 12 years uh, in between that I came back to do my master's to continue to become a, a professional organizational psychologist but you know my, my time there was wonderful um, I worked in regional worlds so 
uh, being based in Hong Kong, I got to go to some wonderful places. Um, you know, I had business trips to work in Pakistan. So I went to Karachi, I'd been to India, I went to Thailand, I went to China, uh, went to Vietnam, so Korea. It's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience there. Uh, when I worked with Standard Chartered, uh, another bank, but an emerging markets bank, they have uh, a footprint in the Middle East and Africa as well. Um, so I was taken to places like Kenya, Nigeria, uh, Dubai. Um, you know, it's, it's just a, a wonderful opportunity to understand how leadership done is done in, in various different cultural contexts. So working for an international organization, you are exposed to diversity. Uh, I think I think it was about 121 different nationalities that spoke 85 different languages was kind of the diversity figure when I was at Standard Chartered. So your ability to relate to people and understand context, which is very important for leadership, um, is it, really important. It's about, I mean, there's two bits in, in what you just mentioned that really interest me. First is, as you say, working in, in, in such a diverse um, uh, environment and with so many different cultures. Do you think that's had a, a lasting impact upon you and you know in your approach to leadership very much so so um i think it's just really helpful and, and, a, and a bit of a it's a bit of a dilemma and a, and a paradox like being cross-cultural so myself being you know i describe myself as a british-born chinese so grew up in the uk but ethnically chinese um there is this challenge which leaders face we all face around um identity you know, who are we? It's the lifelong journey and discovering who we are. And as somebody who is of two cultures, um, that that's a big challenge uh, as you grow up. So it took me a while, you know, till I was 23 before I could describe myself as British, but ethnically Chinese, this BBC phrase. And that's why I went back to Hong Kong to find my roots. So, you know, my experiences have been very powerful um, in terms of understanding the other and therefore you know as you approach leadership how do you engage and help others feel a sense of belonging um, you know there's always an inner group and an outer group in any group context um, and, and I think at, at one stage in my in my life um, I, I always felt like an outsider the other um, you know being being Chinese in the UK I was the other I was a you know, I did get bullied at school. So those formative experiences for being different. I didn't quite fit in when I was in Hong Kong because I was um, a British born Chinese. So, so I looked the same, but I didn't speak the same. So um, I think my experiences of working cross-culturally have just made me realize how important the role is of leadership to create the conditions. So not only do people feel included um, you know, we talk about diversity as being looking different and having all the statistics of the variety, but inclusion is that felt sense of being invited. Um, but the sense of belonging that you can create with psychological safety is, is, is the big thing for a leader to be able to do. How do I make everybody that I interact with feel like they belong? It starts with the invitation to include them, but really genuinely seeing them, hearing their voice, bringing them in allowing them to feel safe and fully show up 
Um, only by being able to do that are you able to truly harness all of that creative diversity to you know address the challenges we face um, it's really interesting you mentioning that some because icp has been doing uh, you know, a series of webinars and one of the speakers steve mumby um who who used to lead the the national college for school leadership in the uk he talks a lot about invitational um leadership which is very much that idea that that strongly does actually make others feel that they've got a part to play and that they belong in the organization and they're not out there in front they're actually inviting others to feel a part and and, and your picture about understanding the others and making making people feel they belong it really fits in powerfully with that yeah and and, and i relate to that as well because uh one of the views i have on leadership is it's 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 deeply relational mm. so you know we're social beings if uh you know, they, they often say there's, there's plenty of leaders walking around and if they turn around, there's nobody following them. So they're only a leader in their own mind. Um, it, it, it requires to have followers in relationship. And my, my sense of the invitation is how you use your power. Mm. So, so as a leader, um, irrespective of who you are, often, you know, in the context of schools, in work, we are ascribed a role and a title. And, and whether you like it or not, because of that role or title, you're given the privilege and the power of leadership. Um, some leaders don't step in and own it. They, they don't want to have it, but they, you know, you, you need to accept that you do have it. And, and there is a shadow to that. So how do you then use that power to be invitational, to bring those around you who either don't have the power, are not seen or, or, um, yeah, just just want to be balanced with you. You know that you, you have a disproportionate influence, and you have to invite and try and level the playing field to enable people to come with you and feel like they belong. That's a very powerful, I mean, a very powerful piece of advice for, for for all of us in ICP, not least me. Um, and a really really helpful um, insight. It's very interesting, sort of chatting to you, Simon, that you can see the way in which you you bring, as it were, those two areas of interest into your ad advice to leaders. Um, you know, you're, you're interested in, in sort of, you know, leadership culture, but also the sort of, as it were, the psychology of organisations as well. Have you found that's been a really strong combination um, in the work that you do? But very much so. So, I, you know, as I say, I, I trained as an organisational psychologist, so... People, people are fascinating. Uh, I've always had a passion about people because we're all uniquely gifted. You know, we've been created with different gifts and talents and there is nobody else um, like you or like me. We see the world differently. Our experiences are different. And that, that's the beauty of humanity. You know, and, and if we can realize that and, you know, seek, there are similarities, but equally we're all different. And I think my, my passion for people is where the psychology comes in. You know, we are relational beings, again, uh, as I talk about it. And, and if we can understand that, um, you know, I started off early in my career um, as a psychometrician. Um, so, so designing questionnaires to look at people's personality, their aptitude and, and trying, to, trying to do statistics around norming people, assessing them. Um, so I took a very rational approach to, to people and their potential. And it's only you know, in the last kind of 10, 15 years that I've, I've taken more of a, a developmental relational approach 
um, looking at gestalt um, practices of kind of being deeply in contact with people um, that some of my practices around leadership have, have evolved. And I think they've evolved by going deeper into myself um, and realizing my own experience of culture, my own experience of coming into contact with, um, you know, people, people with power that give it away or seize it, um, how people engage with authority, how people make people safe by, by tuning into my own experience of the world in relationship with others. It's, it has shaped how I see leadership now. Because that leads on very well to something I was going to ask you, because um, hearing you talk a, a few times now about your, your fascinating sort of experience in this international leadership experience, sometimes, certainly here in the UK, one of the debates is, um, can you transfer um, uh, approaches to leadership from different organisations? You know, so you've worked with some big multinational organisations. Do you think those who um, lead schools or educational organizations have much to learn from the leadership practices in some of these big organizations that you've worked for? I, I do. It's, it's, it's quite funny you, you, you kind of mentioned that because I have this kind of belief that um, leadership is leadership, but it's relentlessly contextual. So, uh, you know, as, as somebody that works in different sectors, so you know, I, I train to work in the private sector in, in kind of organisations that have economic values. Um, I've run leadership in, in NGOs. Um, you know, as a, as a parent governor, I've, I've worked with leaders in schools. Um, I'm an elder in my church, so working with leaders in churches. And because, you know, leadership in all of these organisations are, are essentially people in relationship with each other. Um, I, I do find leadership is, you know, as I say, leadership is leadership, but the context is different because you're doing education, your, your, your product or the people you're engaging with, the service you're providing is different. And that's where it's important for leaders to be self-aware. So, mm. so, so the point of leadership is how, how do I understand who I am, how I behave, what drives me, what's important to me? And then how do I apply it to the challenges of the context in which I'm operating so so I can't say that because I'm who I am that's just who I am in the context I need to flex my leadership to be appropriate for the context now some of that means that my strengths will fit some of the time it means that they don't and therefore how do I work with others to use my strengths and form a team to address that challenge um, so, so that's kind of where it comes from and at the end of the day fundamentally our first point of contact on how we form our views of leadership are through our family system. Mm. There is a natural understanding of how leadership authority and power works. And we learn our roles in groups and teams through being in a family system. So the parents naturally are, are given the authority and role as leader, both in terms of their age, their experience, and you know, they just have authority whether they choose to use it or not. So our first, example of what good or bad leadership looks like is often through you know our parents um, and that system therefore plays out into the way we lead in workplaces and, and as we build on those experiences. That's really fascinating and, and I think all of us working in education actually be very encouraged to hear your focus upon the importance of people and, and upon the, the relationship-based aspects of leadership because 
often it's that enjoyment of working with people and working with young people that has, has brought us into that role of educational leadership in, in, in the first place. Um, just to, to sort of um, place some of what you're saying in, in the up-to-date context, um, perhaps um, those listening to the podcast will be interested to hear, Simon, about the current work that you're, you're doing, because as you've mentioned, um, you're, you're now, um, having had all this international experience, you're, you're now working um, back in the UK still, though, with a leadership focus. Yeah, very much so. So um, ha having spent time in, in corporate, um, you know, and, and in consulting, a lot of people like myself decide to, to run their own business. So, so I've set up my own practice. Therefore, you know, my, my, my own views of leadership, I can, I can fully bring um, to the way I practice with my clients. Um, and my, my own approach in that is to really focus on um, stillness. Um, so, so really, I have a view of leadership um, that subscribes to uh, a model by a practitioner called Edwin Friedman. And I think I've mentioned this to you before, that the, the purest act of leadership in an anxious system is to be a non-anxious presence. And, and I think that it's something about helping leaders become aware of the challenges we face. Um, it's an incredibly challenging, uncertain world where, you know, the demands on people are phenomenal now. And, you know, there are few and far between in terms of people putting their hands up for leadership these days. Um, and those that do, again, there's, there's few and far between that do it well um, because of the pressures of people that place upon them uh, and the expectations they carry themselves. So part of that, I have, I have a portfolio um, so, I, so I run my own clients. I'm working with some uh, family businesses. So that's a very interesting place to, to provide leadership, both in bringing the family system together with the roles of leaders as they become leaders in their workplaces. Um, I have an associate fellow relationship with Oxford Side Business School. So I'm continuing to do adult education um, and leadership with a variety of clients um, across different sectors and uh, and as you say um, because I've been very very blessed in my career early on um, I'm in a position now where I can you know manage my own business and time which allows me therefore um, you know I, I have this model where I try and tithe my time to other leadership causes so for every 10 leaders I get paid to develop I try and find you know enough time to coach mentor or, or do some leadership development work um, pro bono in, in a different sector, um, which is why I do devote my time to, you know, the education sector. Um, you know, the resources that, and challenges that you face in education. Um, I, yeah, I, I just don't know how teachers do it. Um, you know, sure. We're very privileged in corporate. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, and, and uh, I mean, probably honest, in in ICP, we're very, we're very grateful to you, Simon, for um, you know your sharing some of your thoughts and insights today because that's been absolutely fascinating hearing what you said. I'm really interested with your point about um, stillness. I think it was that that, that, that you that you mentioned because um, I know sometimes in my own leadership experience. Um, almost without realizing it, people afterwards will say, well, um, I was really glad that you weren't panicking when you know something happened or when the Ofsted inspector suddenly walked through the door, which is something that happens sometimes in the English system, the inspector suddenly turns up and the biggest challenge is you might be churned up inside but trying not to show it. Um, and um, yeah, so 
building on that um, and building on this current experience with, with it obviously being a very, as you've said, a very challenging time for leaders worldwide. If, if you were sort of sharing some, some thoughts about um, the coming months and the, and, and the challenges of the coming months, would that be the starting point of the advice you would offer to um, ICP members with this focus upon, upon stillness as a, a sort of leadership practice? Very much so. So, as a, you know, it's, it's this um, self-awareness and being in tune with yourself. Um, you know, a, a lot of leaders I work with, I mean, they're incredibly smart and driven people. Um, you know, and you've got to be incredibly smart and driven to be a head teacher of a school. Um, and, you know, I, I work with a lot of leaders and, and unfortunately, their, their view of leadership is to be just really, really smart and feel like they know everything with their expertise. Um, they think a lot. So, so the body is just a vehicle to transport this brain from meeting to meeting. Uh, and, and I encourage the leaders to become fully whole um, because the data below the head in terms of your body is really, really, really informative. You know, our, our emotional system, our unconscious gives us so much data to inform the quality of the decisions we make, how we're feeling and the environment and the people we're engaging with. That if we don't tune into that, we're, we're missing the majority of what goes on. Our intuition, you know, we often know before we even think about saying whatever we're saying, we resonate in terms of the emotional reactivity of others. Therefore, I, I strongly encourage the leaders I work with to, to have a good presencing practice, you know, whatever it is around breathing, because we often find that, you know, as I work with leaders and you observe them, they don't breathe. That they're holding it in and they don't breathe out very much. The, the, the breath out to just relax and let the body kind of sit in. Uh, it, it's really noticeable because of the pressure they're under. And if they're not breathing well, they're not getting enough oxygen in the brain to even think well. Um, but your own calmness, I, I would encourage leaders because the world is just, it's crazy. The pandemic has just you know risen the level of background um, stress you know your, your benchmark of where you go is just phenomenally much higher your ability to kind of regulate and have these moments of you know like your heart beats we, we, we need to kind of expand and contract expand and contract. there are natural rhythms that allow life to form and we've just been contracted too much you know if you hold your fist and hold it tight it just gets really you know as we're doing it now it gets really painful you have to let go at some times to, to allow that. And I think if we're not having a practice of managing our own anxiety, we're not particularly useful to those around us. But I mean, that is really helpful and thoughtful insights um, that, that you've offered to us, Simon, and, and this focus upon um, the, the, the sort of relational aspect, the reading the data that is intuitive, um, and um, yeah, uh, um, also being aware perhaps of the pressure that we ourselves as leaders can um, be under and can place ourselves under is tremendously helpful. Um, Simon, on, on behalf of all of us, can I um, pass on um, a huge thank you to you um, for, for sharing your story, for sharing your sort of leadership insights and advice um, with um, all those listening 
um, from the ICP community and pass on our very best wishes to you um, for the future. Um, I'm really looking forward to working with you and, and, and working with your sons in the future here at Lawrence Sheriff School. But thank you so much for taking this time and sharing your insights with us. Thank you, Simon. Lovely. Thank you, Peter, for the invitation.